How we doing, Rich Church? Hey, my name is Bobby, and uh, uh, one of the pastors here at the Ridge. And the story that you just heard is from uh, Kevin Feeney. And uh, Kevin is one of our drummers here at the Ridge. Uh, he also helps out with our uh, recovery groups that are starting up on November the 4th. And in your seat, you have a little card there uh, next to you that says, uh, you know, uh, Recovering Redemption on the front. And on the back, there's a place for some information there. And so uh, one of the things that you hear in, in Kevin's story as he unfolds his stories, you hear a story that in parts of it you hear uh, Kevin talking about some guilt, and you also hear Kevin talking about some, some shame. You, said, you heard him in his story how that, that there was uh, things that, that he for so long just hid, that he, that he put away, that he, he buried off, and now as he is working through these uh, recovery steps himself are, are finally beginning to surface and finally that, that, that he is finally beginning uh, to deal with. And so for so long, that had been shameful for him. And so uh, for all of us, guilt and shame is not an if experience. Guilt and shame is not one of those things where we say, well, if I ever experience guilt and shame, then hopefully I will be able to deal with it some way, somehow. And so guilt and shame is not an if experience. Guilt and shame is a when experience. Every one of us in this room uh, will at some point in our lives deal with guilt and shame, guilt or shame, typically working together. However, there are some of you that are here this morning, that's how you've walked in here week after week after week after week in guilt and shame. Dealing with guilt, dealing with shame, figuring out how do I navigate this, how do I get past this, what do I need to do to move past this guilt and shame that is in my life. It's one of the many beauties of the gospel, but the gospel, understand, the gospel, which is, it means good news. It's the good news that, that Jesus gave himself up for us. That good news, the gospel, has the power. It has the power to rob guilt and shame of its power. And so the last few weeks in this series, we've learned some, some really important terms, terms that have been, uh, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, theory in some ways, and theological, but uh, terms that now we can actually take and begin to, to put feet to them and see how practical they are in our lives. And so if you've uh, not uh, been uh, caught up in this series, I highly encourage you to go to ridgechurch.cc and just listen to the last several weeks just to get caught up. But let's uh, just do a little groundwork here to get us all caught up. We've been talking about and, and really defining several terms that can be sort of messy, theological, hairy church word type terms over the last several weeks, terms like uh, repentance. And so you hear the word repent and repentance sometimes. And what repentance means is it means that we're going to uh, turn from our sin and that we're going to turn to the cross or that we're going to turn from, from, uh, to Jesus. And so we're, when we say that we need to repent of sin, that means we are turning from that sin and turning to Jesus. Other terms that we've talked about, we've talked about justification, adoption, and sanctification. And we'll see how those uh, flesh out here in just a few moments. And so today we want to get practical and see how these things, when we consciously walk in them, this guilt and shame, and when we constant or when we turn from our guilt and shame when we repent when we walk in justification adoption and sanctification how it gives us real power not just theoretical power but power to overcome and so guilt and shame i don't know if you realize this or not 
but guilt and shame have been around since the beginning of time, really. And so if you have a Bible, open it up to Genesis chapter 2, very first book in the Bible. I'm going way back to the beginning here in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, by the way, if you need a Bible, we want you to know that we have free ones uh, that you can grab out at the Ridge Central table out there. Uh, we want those to be a free gift to you, or it will also be on the screen back here behind me. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse uh, 18. Uh, let's catch up to speed here real quick. What is basically taking place is that God has created the heavens and the earth, and he is uh, creating man and woman, and he is creating them with a certain intent. And we see this right here. Verse 18, it says this. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God called, uh, had formed every beast of of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to the, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall, she shall be called woman because he was take, or she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now, all of that is context. All of that is to get us to this one verse in verse 25 where we see the intent here. Verse 25, it says this. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed. And so here you have God's creation. In week one of this series, we talked about that creation. We talked about what went wrong with creation. But it's beginning started with God creating mankind to walk in innocence and honor, naked and unashamed, naked and unashamed. And so when I think about this, when I, when I picture this, when I think of Adam and Eve and creation, the intent being to, to be naked and unashamed, to be innocent and to walk in honor, to walk in innocence and to walk in honor, uh, there's a couple of things that come to mind that are really just going to mess up your Sunday, but I feel the need to have to share them with you. Picture the guy that is 80 years old at the pool walking around in a Speedo. You know what I'm talking about? He is naked, basically, and unashamed, isn't he? And you're like, dude, put some clothes on. And he's like, I don't even care. And you're like, but we do. So seriously, do something about it. You know what I'm like? I mean, we've all seen that guy. You've been to Splash Country, and you'd be like, kids, hide your eyes. Right? Like, you, you've done that. You've done that, right? Now, I had a neighbor. When my wife and I first got married, I had a neighbor who felt the need to mow his lawn in a Speedo. Seriously, I was like, come on, man, really? Seriously, you've got children. They don't want to see that, and I don't want to see that, really. But listen, naked and unashamed, right? I mean, just unashamed, absolutely unashamed. And so innocent and honored. Listen, this is God's intent. Not that all of us walk around in Speedos. That was not the intent. But the intent was to be innocent and to walk in honor. That, listen, Eden was created for perfection. But as we see in Genesis chapter 3, that perfection has been shattered and broken. And what we have instead of innocence and honor 
is we have guilt and shame. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. It says this. This is after Adam and Eve have broken the command of God, have taken of the fruit and ate. Verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Verse 10, it says, And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So instead of walking in innocence and honor, it's now guilt and shame. And for some of you, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds familiar that there was innocence and honor, and then life happened, something happened. You fill in the blank. It was like life was good until blank. Life was good until this. Life was good until I messed up. Life was good until the divorce. Life was good until that night. Life was good until I took that. Life was good until whatever. You fill in the blank. You know what the blank is, but life was good until this. Innocence and honor was shattered and broken, and now you walk in guilt and shame. At some point in our lives, we become familiar with guilt and shame. And so just to sort of give us a a working definition of, of, of guilt and so we can get our minds around it, what exactly guilt is. Guilt is more about what we do or don't do. And so guilt is, is about what we, what we do or don't do. And shame is more about who we are or are not. We all, each one of us, have what psychologist David Keyes says is a self-ideal for ourselves. Don't we? Like all of us in, in this room, if we're honest, we have this uh, desired image of ourselves, right? Like we, we say, this is the person that I am or this is the person that I will not be. This is the, these are the things that I will do. These are the things that I will not do. And so we have this desired image of ourselves or this self-ideal for ourselves. And when this self-ideal expectation of ourselves is not met, we experience guilt and shame. Sometimes one or the other, most of the time, both. Because guilt robs us of our innocence and shame robs us of our honor. And if we're all honest, we all want innocence and honor, don't we? We all want to walk in that innocence. We all want to walk in that honor. And so if you take guilt, for example, guilt is, is pretty easy to spot most of the time. We, we feel guilty when we do something we shouldn't or don't do something we know that we should. And so anytime that we come up short of this self-ideal of ourselves, we, we feel guilt, don't we? We say, man, I, 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 my, my standard for myself is not to do this, but I did this, and now I feel guilty for it. Or I, I know that I should have done this and I, and I didn't and so therefore I feel guilty for it. And listen, if you're a believer, there is a, there is a standard for yourself that Scripture sets aside to us. And when we fall short of that standard, that is what we call sin. And so let me say this, sort of a, a side note here. There is a healthy form of guilt that leads us to repentance. 
And that is not a guilt that we should avoid. But here's the danger, is that when that guilt leads us to repentance, that we turn from our sin and we turn to the cross, after that moment, that guilt should now be gone. And so the danger is when we want to lug that guilt around with us to say, well, I'm just going to kind of keep this guilt with me because it, it, it keeps me humble. No, it keeps you slaved chained and shame is a bit tougher to notice but sort of follows the same path we we feel shameful when we've done something that that's made us feel guilty right and so so there, there is shame involved there but we can also feel shame for things that really we have no business being ashamed of And that shame will be something that chains us, that holds us, that enslaves us as well. Shame that that we we really have no business being ashamed of, like like being ashamed of the house that we live in. Anybody ever been there? You've been ashamed of the house that you live in, right? You tell your friends to drop you off down the street, you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, this is my house, really go in, right? (laughs) uh, Maybe ashamed of of the house that that, that you live in, ashamed of the car that you drive. Listen, I I know that one all too well. I can remember being in high school, having my my first car and being ashamed of the car, so ashamed, in fact, of the car that I drove that I would park in a parking lot that was not even in my school. And I'd be like, I just walked to school. Be like, hey, I thought you drove. Oh, no, I just walked. You know, be like, be like, instead of, listen, I had no business being ashamed of this car. I was so ashamed of this car that I literally at one point in time took a cardboard sign and wrote, steal me, the keys are in it, and put it on the window and left it. (laughs) And nobody stole it. (laughs) They were like, oh, I'd love to take a car for free, but not that one. Right? And so, but listen, I had no business being ashamed of that. I should have just been thankful that I had a car. And so we, we can be ashamed of things that we really have no business being ashamed of. Whether the holidays are coming, you've got a family member that you're ashamed of, that crazy uncle is showing up, right? And you're going to be like, who is this homeless guy that keeps getting into our family gatherings? I don't know who this guy is, right? But he's there, you know, she's there, right? That, that person that you're just ashamed of, right? And we really have no business being ashamed of those things. And so those things can enslave us and chain us. And hold us back from walking in innocence and honor. So the danger in letting guilt and shame linger in our lives is that many times it doesn't end with just guilt and shame. Guilt and shame will almost always roll over and roll into other things. Typically anger, for example. Guilt and shame when, when unchecked, when uh, not passed through the lens of the gospel will roll into Anger, anger toward others, anger's, uh, anger within ourselves. We, we begin to, to do this self-help, uh, self-hate thing where we hate ourselves because of guilt, because of shame, because of this stuff that we walk into. And then if that goes unchecked, then anger almost always rolls up, uh, up into something else. It typically will roll into addictions. It will roll into uh, lust. It will roll into abuse. It will roll into sexual immorality. It will roll into all of these things. And if you trace the steps back of all of these things, what you will almost always find is guilt and shame. So how does the gospel invade these spaces of guilt and shame? 
And so we're just going to go back to some of the things that we've already covered, justification, adoption, and sanctification, and, and look at how these things invade the spaces of guilt and shame uh, for us. And so turn over to Colossians chapter 2. That's in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 13, two verses here, it says this, it says, and you, this is talk, Paul talking to believers, those of you who have given your lives to Christ, he says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, translation, those of you who uh, are sinners, which would be all of us. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so this is how God handles guilt, by canceling the record of debt and nailing it to the cross. This is what we defined uh, a few weeks ago as justification. And and what justification means, it is an innocence that is given to us that was not ours. That through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his coming again for us, the gospel, that justification, that is God taking your sin, my sin, taking it from us, nailing it to the cross, and passing along to us his grace and his mercy, justifying us, giving us an innocence. And listen, all of us know this. We already understand this and know know this. None of us are innocent, really, are we? Like none of us in here is going to go, hey, I could go 10 for 10 on the Ten Commandments. I'm in. I got it. I got this down. Like none of us are going to claim that. And so we know that, that we are guilty, and so when we are justified, when we have given our lives to Christ, he justifies us by giving us an innocence that is not ours. And so our guilt of the sins that we once walked in have been nailed to the cross. And so because we have been justified, our sins have been paid for, and therefore means all our guilt has been taken away. We are free and have been made innocent. Imagine for a moment what life would be like for you to actually believe and walk in that. Think about that for a second. Imagine what life would be like for you to actually believe and walk in that innocence, that you have been justified, that an innocence has been given to you, that you are covered in an innocence. To believe that as a believer, that you are not guilty, your past mistakes, sins, coming up short of of who you think you should be has been canceled out and nailed to the cross. So this is how God handles guilt. He handles it through justification by giving us an innocence, by justifying us, giving us an innocence that is not ours. And so listen, some of you need to hear this this morning, those of you who are believers, you're not guilty. You are not guilty. You're like, yeah, yeah, but, but what about that? You know, you are not guilty. Jesus crucified those things on the cross when he was crucified. When they nailed him to the cross, it was nailed to the cross. Your guilt was nailed to the cross. You are not guilty. You're free. And so, 
How does he handle shame? He, he does this through our understanding of gospel adoption. Nothing drives away shame like being fully known. Nothing drives away shame like being fully known and yet still loved, enjoyed, and delighted in by the one who knows you best, your heavenly Father. And, and that, for, for some of us, is hard to get our minds around because like when we, we think about this, what, what it means to be fully known and yet still loved, like, do you understand what that means? That means that for somebody to go, I know everything about you. I know what you did there. I know how you acted there. I know what you said there. I know how you hurt them there. I know everything about you, yet I still love you. And so to be fully known in such a way drives out shame. God's not ashamed of you. God's not ashamed of you. And some of us need to hear that because that needs to put to death the end of being ashamed of ourselves. What I love about these stories that we're, we've been showing through this series and will continue to, to show is that I, I love how uh, these people like Kevin did this morning is it, they're just telling their stories and, and what they're saying is they're saying here's all of my junk like here's everything about me like here here's all of the bad I'm, I'm laying it out before you I've been outed by the cross and so here it is before you and so here is all of my shame it is out before you everything is in the light and so therefore I'm no longer ashamed I am no longer ashamed. That's why one of the most important steps, those of you who have gone through recovery steps, one of the most important steps in recovery is to, to walk in the light, is it not? It's to say, hey, here's who I was. Here's what I'm coming out of. Here's what I'm being delivered from. This is who I used to be. So now you are no longer able to walk in shame because nobody can go, hey, hey, wait, 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 weren't you that guy, weren't you that woman that used to whatever? And you can say, yeah, that used to be me. There is no shame there anymore. So these stories are not people bragging about their shame. It's them bragging about how God has delivered them from shame. I love what Hebrews 2.11 says. It says, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified. And what that word sanctifies means and, and, and sanctified, it just means that we are gradually becoming more and more like Jesus. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Shame is squashed when we realize we can be open and confess God Confess to God and others. This is gospel community. Jonathan, uh, our Connections pastor here, small groups, uh, life group pastor, talked about this just a few weeks ago, the importance of, of gospel community. This is why getting you involved in a life group is so important so that you can be around other believers and be in fellowship with other uh, believers who will be able to to gather around you and and support you as you step out of shame and begin to walk in innocence and honor. 
And so if you're not involved in a life group, we highly encourage you to get involved in a life group. There are new life groups starting up all the time. There are lots of life groups that you can get involved in now. And you just fill out a Connect card and say, hey, I want to be in a life group. I want more information about life groups. Fill that out and drop it off at the Ridge Central table. Also, coming up here in just a few weeks, you can go to the website, click on What's Happening. There's a place there called Ridge U that stands for Ridge University. And we're doing a a class called Gospel Community uh, coming up here in mid-November. And so... Uh, get signed up for that. If you want to know what the, the power and the importance of gospel community is, then, then go to that. It'll be well worth your time. Shame, here, here's the thing about shame. Shame cannot grow in light. Shame cannot grow in light. It does not grow in the light. Shame only grows in darkness. Shame only grows in darkness. It cannot grow in the light. Shame is like a fungus, isn't it? It needs dark, damp places to grow, and when it is in those dark, damp places, it springs forth and grows and gets uncontrollable. And so there is a fungus among us. Okay, I had to say that. Said it in the first service. I had to say it in the second service. Like, when do you ever get an opportunity to say there is a fungus among us? So I had to say it. Listen, hey, you remember the story about the prodigal son in Luke chapter uh, 15? You, can, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read a couple of verses for you. But in Luke 15, um, this great, great, uh, amazing parable that Jesus tells about this son who we have always thought, I think, for a, a, a long time, have, have thought of the word prodigal, meaning uh, someone who leaves and comes back. But the word prodigal doesn't actually mean that. The word prodigal actually means uh, lavishly loved. Lavishly loved. And so it really kind of changes the meaning of this parable if we look at it in terms of this. But listen to what Jesus says in uh, Luke chapter 15. And so what has happened here is, is Jesus is telling the story about two brothers who get this inheritance uh, from their father. And one of the sons decides to take his inheritance and he leaves. And it says that he spends everything, that he basically wastes everything. He, he, he blows his inheritance on wild living. He just goes out and just, you know, does what many of us have done in the past or are currently doing and just went out and just lived life and said, you know what, I don't even care. And he blows everything. But then he comes to his senses. It says, the scripture says that when he finally came to himself and realized that he was once walking in innocence and honor, now he is living literally with pigs and eating the same thing that pigs are eating. It says that he comes to himself and he dusts himself off and he begins to go back toward his father but the entire time as he is walking back toward his father he is walking in guilt and shame lugging that back with him thinking i'm so guilty i'm so shameful maybe my father will just let me be one of his servants like i will never get back to the place of innocence and honor that i was before but maybe at least i can get back to just being around him verse 20 of luke 15 it says jesus says this he says and he arose and came to his father. I love this. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And so his father from a long way off saw him and ran toward him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. There's the guilt and the shame. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put, on a, put a ring on his hands, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And I've often wondered why we don't see God this way. As a loving father who runs to us, even in our guilt and shame, runs to us, embraces us, brings us back home and says, put the best robe on his back, put shoes on his feet, put the ring, the family ring that says, this one is mine, put the ring on his finger and then let's celebrate, let's get some steaks, let's get out the wine, let's get a bonfire going, hoe down, get the band up, let's go. None of that boxed wine. We're talking about the good stuff, right? And so it's like, this is, is it. This is the good stuff here. We are going to celebrate the return of my son. But for so many of us, because of our earthly fathers, we don't see our heavenly father the same way. Because what we've experienced from our earthly father, because the earthly side of us wants to say, that's not really the way that it works. Like, it's not supposed to work that way. Like, if I've gone and I've blown everything that my family gave me and I decide to try to come back home, like, the locks on the door are being changed. Right? And, yeah, dad's meeting me outside, but when dad meets me outside, it's like, what are you doing here? Right? And so when we read this, we're like, whoa, 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 wait, that's not the way that it's supposed to happen. Now think about how the son felt when the father embraced him and threw him a party instead of lighting him up and saying, dude, you're grounded. Think about how the, how the son felt in that moment. It doesn't feel right, does it? Like it doesn't feel right for us. And this is why, listen, this is why grace is so scandalous. It's amazing. It's truly unbelievable. So, sanctification, the gradual progression of us becoming more and more like Jesus, happens as we learn to navigate guilt and shame, as we learn to pass these things through the lens of the good news of the gospel, as we learn to not walk in guilt and shame, but instead to, to turn and walk in innocence and honor, the innocence and honor that, that Christ passes on to us through justification and adoption. Listen, adoption is Jesus himself saying, this is my son, this is my daughter, these are mine. How can we possibly walk in shame when that is true? As believers, how can we possibly walk in shame when we say, I am a son, I am a daughter of the creator of the universe? Last week we talked in Colossians 3. In Colossians 3 it says that we have been hidden in Christ. And I love that picture that that paints when it says that we are hidden in Christ, meaning simply that when God looks at us, despite our sin, despite our mistakes, despite all of these things that we feel like that we need to continually carry on with us because that we have been hidden in Christ, when he looks upon us, what he sees is not guilt and shame but innocence and honor. 
a son, a daughter. So we see how this passes through guilt and shame, passes through the lens of the gospel. Next week we're going to look at fear and anxiety. Something again, just like guilt and shame, something that we all have dealt with before and continue to deal with. But believers, if you're a believer here, you've given your life to Christ. Listen, Jesus didn't give his life so that you would continue to walk in guilt and shame, being robbed of innocence and honor. Your innocence has been declared and paid for on the cross. Your honor has been stood up for by the Father. By the Father who says, that's my son, that's my daughter. It's like the the big brother who stands up for his little sister to a bully and says, you don't mess with this one. That one's mine. And so guilt and shame have been crucified on the cross. And not just theoretically, but for you. Your guilt, your shame. You may have walked in here with guilt and shame, but God's intent is that you leave here innocent and not ashamed of who you are in Him, hidden in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and how it speaks deeply to us, God. How it calls us to repentance, Father. How it uh, draws up within us the desire to turn from our sin and turn to you, God. To, to put to death guilt and shame. To walk in innocence and honor that you have given to us. Maybe some of you this morning that's your story like you just continue to walk in guilt and shame and you continue to uh, lug that around with you Romans says Paul writes in Romans he, he simply says this he says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and so for those of you as believers that means there is no guilt there is no shame there is only innocence and honor but you have to walk in it And so if that's you, you've been walking in guilt and shame instead of the innocence and the honor that God intends you to walk into, you just slip up your hand real quick and say, that's me. I'm not going to call you out, make you stand up, anything like that. Amen, amen. Hands up, amen, amen. Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, God, that you give courage, God, that you give power, Father, that, that you give courage to walk in innocence and honor, that you remind all of us, God, who have walked in here with guilt and shame around our necks, that condemnation, God, that you remind us that there is none of that for those of us who are in you, who have been hidden with you. Because we have been justified, there is no guilt. God, because we have been adopted by you, there is no shame. We are your sons and daughters. For others of you who have never given your lives to Christ, your life is marked by guilt and shame because when you think about giving your life to Christ by by 
repenting of sin, all you think about is there's no possible way for God to love you. There's no possible way for God to forgive you. There is no way of escaping the guilt and the shame that either you have created for yourself or that you have found yourself in. John 1.12 says this, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So what that simply means is that we receive, we believe, we become. And if that's you, that is, let that be your prayer this morning, to receive, to receive Jesus as Father, to become, to receive his spirit, to to receive forgiveness, to receive the the exiting of guilt and shame, to walk in innocence and honor, and to become his children, to become his son, to become his daughter. Listen, I can't pray that prayer for you. That is your prayer to pray. We will be more than happy to walk with you through that. Let today, in this moment, be the last hint of guilt and shame for you. Because it has been crucified on the cross. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray.